0: Final time together. Facing the future with faith. We began today uh, looking at Sarah, who at that point in her story was trapped in her past, unable to believe God's promises over her life because of her past disappointments. And still, God is so gentle, and He sees what none of us would see a bruised reed, a smoldering wick of faith, and it is enough. And Sarah ends up with life, after all, giving birth to her longed-for son, her promise. And she could never have imagined the ripple effects of that blessing, could she? (laughs) That through her line, a baby would be born that would bring joy, not just to one woman, but to all women and men, to the whole world. Wow. What an incredible impact our our faith lack of faith can have, not just on us, but on the people around us. And then we looked at Mary and Martha, one woman who had a faith that empowered her to really live in the present, to be present to the present and to find Jesus there, and another overwhelmed by the present because of her lack of faith, courageous faith. We've seen how faith radically impacts our ability to face our pasts, to live in the present. And finally, in this last session, we're going to look at how courageous faith propels us into an even brighter future. Before we look at the uh, text that I'm going to look at today, I just want to mention that there are three, in my mind, from uh, thinking about it, toxic ways to face our future. The first is to pull, the past into the future, to take our past and to put it right in front of us and and just think history is going to repeat itself. Whatever's happened here is just a proof that that's what's going to happen. We take our past and we use it almost like a hurdle, like an obstacle. We say, this is who I am based on my past, and so this is where I'm going. The second toxic way to face our future is to live in a permanent kind of postponement, to think about the future as so far away Like, we've got so much time to get there, to actually make right with that person, to finally read our Bible and connect with that other person we felt God put on our hearts, or to actually get some of the unhealthy habits in our life right. We've got decades and decades, don't we? That's a toxic way of thinking about the future, thinking of it as so far away when actually the future is unfolding as we speak, right? And so much of the future hinges on how we deal with the present. Isn't that right? It it absolutely hinges on what we're doing now. It's the slow and the steady that lead to the future. The third toxic way of facing our future is to drag it into today, (laughs) to run into it illegitimately and get anxiety. Because when we do that, when we pull tomorrow's worries into today, We have no grace to deal with them because God's grace is only like manna. It's only for today. He doesn't give you future grace for tomorrow. He says, every day has enough worries about itself, Matthew 6, so worry about today. Don't think about tomorrow. And what we do toxically is we pull tomorrow's worries. What if, what could happen down the line? And we pull it into today. And what we find is we have no grace to deal with it because God's presence isn't in it. There's no no empowering. Those are toxic ways. But when we face our futures with courageous faith, when we've left the past in the past, we've been present in the present, I believe we can run into our futures with courageous faith. And I'd love to look at John 4, verses 5 to 47 now as our text for this last session. It's the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. John 4, verses 5 to 47. It's quite long, so I'm going to skip every now and then. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was noonday, so the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink," for his disciples had gone away to get food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria," for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, 'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him." And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, So you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here for the water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, you must be a prophet. Our fathers worshipped here. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I am he who speaks. Just then, as disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not see the harvests are white? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Already, the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor, and others have labored and who have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is the Word of God. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? So I'm just going to spend not as long as I have in the other sessions just reflecting on on what we see in that passage. Some context, first of all. This woman is a Samaritan woman, and we're told this was a different um, translation than the one I had at home, but we're told that she comes at noon to this well to collect her water. Now, this is Middle East, desert kind of country, (laughs) No one goes to the well in the middle of the day to do their hard lugging. They go either early in the morning at dawn or at dusk when it's cooler. But this woman comes in the middle of the day when there's typically no one drawing water. Why do you think that is? It's because she didn't want to see people. She was a shamed, broken, marked woman in a conservative, highly traditional society, here's a woman who's been married five times and now is living with a man who isn't her husband. That might be still a bit wild (laughs) in our context, but back then that made her an absolute outcast. And so this woman, rather than put up with the stares and the hushed whispers and the slanted looks, She'd rather go at the worst time of the day to collect her water than face the judgment and the sneers of other people in her town. And there she meets Jesus, and he asks her for some water to drink from her own tools, her own water-drawing jars. This is scandalous. (laughs) This is just not done. First of all, that That a Jewish rabbi would even speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. That is unheard of. Uh, It's in trying to kind of like give us a, a modern day cultural context. This is like the highbrow East London baroness with her pearls and her high heels stopping on the side of the road at one of the kind of like construction sites and going up to a guy in blue overalls with a hard hat, having his lunch break and drinking some Fanta Orange out of an enamel cup and sitting down next to him and saying, can I have a swig? (laughs) Can you imagine that picture? Can you imagine uh, that happening? And it it was more wilder than that, that Jesus would go up to this woman and say, can you give me something to drink? And then talk to her and offer her something far greater. Now, if anyone had an excuse to hide behind their past, to drag their past in front and go, I don't have a future because of my past, it's this woman, right? No matter what our excuses are, this woman had a bigger one. She was living in a highly patriarchal, traditional, condemning society, and she had ticked all the boxes for having no future. And yet her future was brighter than she could ever have imagined. Because she stopped and she listened and then she believed what Jesus said, and that made all the difference. Earlier today, I said the definition for faith, for courageous faith, is believing what God says about who He is and about who we are as a result. And isn't that what we see in this woman? She comes broken with all her issues and she stops, and all she does is she listens and she believes what he says, and it makes all the difference. She's got the gift of courageous faith, and it changes not just her present, but her future. And just think about it. It changed in another translation. It said many from her town were saved. It changed not just her future, but multitudes from her town's future, and it changed history. Here we are 2,000 years later, talking about her in a completely different part of the world. Wow. Do you think she could ever have comprehended how her courageous faith would change everything? She comes stooped, heavy laden, burdened, full of her own, not just these heavy water jars, but full of shame and dragging her past wherever she goes. And at the end of the story, it says she leaves her water jars and she goes running Ironically, she goes running back to go and speak to the people that she has uh, for her whole life been running away from, hiding from. She goes back. She's running free, no longer defied by her past and her sin. And I think it's the same for many of us in this room. We've come here this weekend, perhaps just stooped, heavy laden, burdened, feeling overwhelmed. But that's not how we leave. We come to the well of life. We find Jesus and we leave running, no longer captives to our pasts, to our own lies that we believed about God, running into a bright future. Just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus meets each of us at our wells, where we think life is to be found, and yet where we constantly have to go back to because it keeps us thirsty. I hope something in this weekend uh, I, I've kind of uh, have been praying that God would have nudged us each to see some of the broken wells in our life, each of us, the different places that we go for our water, for our life. And yet, in this picture, we see Jesus so graciously standing next to the well, <laughs> this place that this woman goes to every day, and he goes, "I can give you something much better. I can give you a spring of water that will well up." from inside you and will never dry up the spring of life the holy spirit in you she leaves her water jars and she runs to tell the others she runs with her feet and that reminds me of isaiah 52 verse 7 it says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim, who proclaim salvation how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Just think about this woman's feet and what she'd been through and where she'd gone. Her feet wouldn't have looked particularly beautiful, would they have? Living in the area that she lived in and the time that she lived in, they probably were, she had cracked heels. They were probably blistered and definitely dirty from traveling. And yet, God looks at her feet and he says, how beautiful are those feet. I wonder how many of us in this room and uh, in our lives have got hard hearts and soft feet. (laughs) That's the general kind of, I think, state of the world. We've got hard hearts towards people. We don't want to go where it's... And we've got soft feet. We don't really care about people. And when we we think about stepping out, we're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. It's prickly. We don't want to go there to those people or to that place or step out of our comfort zone. And it's because our hearts are hard. They haven't been broken like a well to start flowing with the love of God. We haven't been abiding in God and letting His love soften us and flow through us. And what God wants to do is He He wants to soften our hearts and He wants to harden our feet. He wants to soften our hearts And he wants to harden our feet so that we will go where it's not comfortable to go, where not many people go, and we'll bring his good news, his beautiful salvation. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. So this is a much shorter message, but uh, I'm already kind of wrapping it up. And the last thing I just wanted to do is quite an unusual thing. I want to prophesy over your feet, (laughs) if I may. So can I ask you all to look down at your feet? Put them down and look at them. I want to speak to those feet. Keep on looking at them. Your feet, not the feet next door. (laughs) Just have a look at those feet, even the shoes they're wearing. I want to say on behalf of God that they are beautiful feet. They are beautiful feet. God has made them. They are beautiful in his sight. I want to declare over them that they are sent feet, they have a direction that God has put in your heart. And hopefully he's igniting it even now. They are feet that burn with a fire to go. To not stay where they have been, but to go. Compelled by love that has flown so richly to you and now must flow through you. These feet are sent into very specific paths and places to very specific people. And that's what makes them beautiful. I want you to, as you look at your feet, think about the people on the path of your life that God has sent you to for such a time as this. These feet are moving forward, they're not moving backwards, they're not going around the same mountains, they are going forward. These feet are staying in their lane. They're not going sideways, looking at the feet next to them, wishing they were in another lane. they are running their race with their eyes fixed on him who has called you, who's faithful to get you to the finish line. And finally, I want to prophesy that as these feet begin to move, all of hell trembles. Sure. I really believe that, that these feet, these high-heeled feet, these sneaker feet, these slip-slop feet, this motley crew of army <laughs> is a mighty one. I prophesied a few weeks ago here about 2 Kings 7, and I felt reminded of it while I was preparing. There's this group of four lepers And they're stuck in the middle of a famine, and they think, we can either die out here, or we can just take our chances and go to the enemy camp and just beg them for some food. And so they move there, and it says that God did something supernatural, that as they came near this enemy tent, he made the ears of the enemy, this huge, fearsome uh, army, hear what sounded like a huge army of feet and chariots. And it was four lepers. <laughs> and as they heard these steps, they quaked with fear and they left, they fleed. They, they didn't even wait to see who was going to come up that ridge. And the lepers arrived to this bounty, to this desolate town, and they ate their full. And then they said, oh, what? we've got here is too good to keep to ourselves, even though our own people have ostracized us and kicked us out. We're compelled with love to go to the people that have hurt us the most, that have kicked us out, and go back and share the good news that there's a whole promised land that they can come, and there's a bounty in the middle of famine that they can feast on. And so that's what they do. And I think about those lepers' feet. Can you imagine lepers' feet? How how broken and gross those feet must have looked. And yet Jesus says, how beautiful are those feet that go to bring good news. In the Last Supper, this is my last point, <clears throat> Jesus stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet. <laughs> Can you imagine the God of the universe kneeling down before your feet and washing your feet so tenderly. What grace, hey? And I believe what he was doing then was anointing their feet. He said, I've got to do this so that you can be clean. And one of the things he was doing was washing their feet, and in a sense, uh, in this context, hardening their feet, readying their feet for the hard road that each of those disciples would walk, and giving them soft hearts at the same time. And as the band comes up, I just... I want to pray that God would do that supernaturally in each of our lives and with each of our feet and our hearts, that we would feel that God was washing our feet again, freshly anointing us for the task of using these feet to walk into our futures with courageous faith, not just for our sake, but primarily for the sake of those that have not heard yet that God is sending us to with good, good news.